athletic competition. It can easily be broken down into two parts. The minutes or hours it takes to complete the event. Then weeks, months, and years of joy or heartbreak. Finally, the decades to analyze and debate it. From the press box to press row, Donald Ware will break it all down for you with an in-depth look at historically black college athletics, as well as the biggest news stories and newsmakers of the day. It's time to talk the talk with those who walk the walk. From the press box to press row, here's your host, Donald Ware. Yo. Why is Jada Kiss as hard as it gets? Why is the industry designed to keep the artists in debt? And why them dudes ain't riding if they part? You're locked in to the Dopey Show on radio from the press box to press row. I am your host, Donald Ware. We got a whole lot to get to on today's program. I hope you're continuing to stay safe where you are. This COVID-19 is serious business. As a matter of fact, we're located in the state of North Carolina, more specifically in Raleigh and had hoped to get out of phase two this weekend. Once you get out of phase two, you go into phase three, a lot more things reopen. It's almost like being back to normal, if you will. But that's not going to happen for us here in the state of North Carolina as cases continue to rise, as hospitalizations continue to rise. I don't think people are really taking this this coronavirus as seriously as we stand right now. It seemed like in the beginning we took it extremely seriously and right now not as serious. I, I think this is the deal. Like you, when you see people out and for all the people that are, uh, are states rights people and, and, and those that are people that say, I, I don't want the government telling me what to do. Those are really the same people that are the ones a lot of times that you see are out here that aren't social distancing, that aren't wearing the mask. As a matter of fact, here in the state of North Carolina, it's a mandate now to wear face coverings, which I think should have been a mandate a long time ago. We know that the coronavirus, what the information we get with respect to the coronavirus changes. One of the things I've heard with respect to the face coverings is this. It doesn't necessarily prevent you from getting the coronavirus if you have the mask on but it does prevent the spread so if everybody wears a face covering then based upon that it prevents doesn't it is it doesn't it's there's still a possibility but it 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 prevents the spread exponentially so i mean if everybody wore a face covering man we could get through this thing i think people are so impatient they don't want the government to tell them what to do and all those kind of things. It's not about that. It's about protecting ourselves because we're going through this and getting through this so we can get back to a sense of normalcy. So I hope uh, that you uh, continue to social distance or hope you are social distancing and that you will listen to the science. Please, we can get through this if we do what we're being asked to do. We got a whole lot to get to today on the program. Of course, last week, Tony McGee, 
former National Football League player, played with the Bears, the Patriots, played with the Redskins where he won a Super Bowl. He was part of the Black 14 back in 1969 at the University of Wyoming. He, if you didn't have a chance to listen to that interview from last week, you can log on to our website at boxtorow.com and you can download the From the Press Box to Press Row podcast. And he spoke a lot about what happened. Yeah, you know, I was unfamiliar with that particular situation at Wyoming and the student protests and the football players getting involved where the football coach at Wyoming said he did not want to get or have the players to be to get involved in that. We're going to juxtapose that today here on From the Press Box to Press Row as we're going to be joined by Ori Banks. Okay, so some of you may, I know a lot of you are saying, oh, Ori Banks is going to join us. I know some of you are asking, who is Ori Banks? Ori Banks was the head football coach at South Carolina State for many years, including in 1969 when the Orangeburg Massacre happened. If you don't know about the Orangeburg Massacre, it was it is one of those situations in our society that's not talked about a lot. Like everybody knows about Kent State and what happened at Kent State in 1970, but we don't talk about what happened uh, similarly at Jackson State. You know, we don't talk about what happened in Orangeburg when three South Carolina State students were murdered by the police. And Ori Banks, again, was the head football coach at that time when his players asked, could they be part of the protest? And this was prior uh, to the killing of the three students by the state police, by the way. He was all for it. He said, absolutely. So we're going to be joined by Ori Banks today here on the program. He's in numerous Hall of Fames. He also was the head football coach at West Virginia State. He also was an assistant coach at a number of different places. As a matter of fact, the first black assistant coach at the University of South Carolina. He had a stop at the University of Virginia. He had a stop at Wisconsin. So we're going to be joined today by Ori Banks here on the program. The NBA says that it is set to get things rolling towards the end of July to resume the season playoffs and so forth. Uh, MLB says it's set to resume July, what July 23rd or July 24th with a 60 game schedule. You, you, you the, the national football league says it's business as usual for the national football league. I'm just trying to figure out now we can talk about, Baseball, And I think with respect to baseball, I think there's a natural social distancing there. So I think you can play the games in a in as safe a manner as you can in any other sport. I mean, you're going to have to do some things. But when you have players still in Major League Baseball that are testing now currently and, and staff people that are testing positive for the coronavirus, you have NBA players that are testing positive for the coronavirus. You have National Football League players that are testing positive for the coronavirus. I don't, I just don't see I'm like, I'm, I want to play football. I want the national football league to come back. You know, I want to, I want college football to come back. I just don't right where we stand at this moment. I just don't see how we're going to be able 
to get this done. And you look at it on the collegiate level. You look at all the players at the various schools that are testing positive for the coronavirus. It's it's almost like, I'm not saying this is what it is, but it's almost like a situation where the players are now coming back. You say, okay, come, come on back. Um, they're catching this thing. And not everybody, but a lot of players, it's, you know, it's, it's almost like what's going on at some of these schools. Why are all of these players catching this? I mean, is, and I, I don't know this for a fact. Again, this coronavirus thing is, it just, it just changes from day to day. You know, I've read reports where it says, once you catch the coronavirus, you can't catch it again. But I mean, it's almost like, okay, let's bring the students back. And if they get it, they get it. But then moving forward, there's student athletes and, and not just in football and other sports too, um, then w- w- they'll be straight. I mean, I, I just don't, I just don't get it. Uh, you know, I, I don't see, and, and listen, I want to play and I just don't see how we're going to be able to play. If I'm a parent, like I, I have, I had a son that uh, I still have him, but that played college football at one time. So like, do I, if, if, if this had been going on at the time that he was playing, would I want him to be going back to be involved in this, particularly at the college level? I'm not making a, I mean, you're not making a living off of this. Not, not in so many words. I mean, some people get scholarships and all that kind of stuff, but it's not the main thing that I do. I mean, I, I, I don't know that I would want that, necessarily for my son especially in a sport like football you look at maybe baseball even you know even in in soccer you're having these positive tests I mean these these contact sports by the way the NHL uh, is slated to start back up so you have all of these contact sports and non-contact sports but more specifically in this instance the the contact sports like how are we gonna you know how are we going to resume and try to be as safe as possible specifically in a contact sport? I just don't know. I just don't see how it's going to happen. Uh, but again, uh, even us here at, at uh, From the Press Box to Press Row, we have the HBCU football daily podcast that is in full effect. As a matter of fact, on Friday, we completed Week two with a look at Lincoln of Missouri. So you can log on to our website at boxtorow.com for the HBCU football daily podcast. I mean, everything like I'm not hearing anything that's saying we're not going to play. Everything is moving forward as if we're going to play. But I don't hear enough conversation about how we're going to keep these student athletes safe, how we're going to keep these student athletes from catching the coronavirus, which which obviously you can't do that. I mean, you you know it's hard. I mean, if, if you social distance properly, I mean, the only way you can really prevent anyone from catching it really is to be isolated, and 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 hopefully the people around you are isolated. You don't go around anyone. That's really the only way. But how are we gonna? You know, I'm not hearing. I'm just hearing. We're gonna start. We're we're going some now. I know that some schools, uh, particularly at the Division II level, uh, a lot of the conferences are going to play the mandated seven-game conference schedule, and that's going to be it. But how are we going 
to play these games? And more specifically, how are we going to play football, which is the most contact sport out of all of the sports that we are talking about? Listen, we have the Jada Kiss versus Fabulous uh, Instagram uh, deal that's coming up on Monday. So all of the music that you're going to hear on today's from the press box to press row is either going to be from Jada Kiss or Fabulous. And they did that record together a couple of years ago, which was, actually was kind of dope. Uh, Jason, what is it? Uh, was it Jason? It wasn't Jason versus Freddie, but it was, I forget the name of the album, but it was really, really dope. I really enjoyed it. And uh, so that's the music we're going to play on today's program. Your participation here on Box to Row is always warranted. Hit me up via Twitter at Box to Row, B-O-X-T-O-R-O-W, or on Facebook, B-O-X, the number two R-O-W. You can also hit me up via my personal Twitter account, at dware one at dware one or on my personal Instagram account, at WearDonald. Thank you to all of the outstanding affiliates around the country that carry from the press box to press row. As a matter of fact, at the end of the program, we have two new affiliates to introduce. Those that listen to us on Sirius XM, channel 142, and those that listen to us around the world at BoxToRow.com. I am up against a break. Up next, here on From the Press Box to Press Row, we're going to be joined by legend, former, and now legendary football coach, Ari Banks. On last week's From the Press Box to Press Row with Donald Ware. By my father, Donald Ware. Coach Lombardi indicated that he wanted me to play cornerback. Do you think you can check Charlie Tell? So I thought about it a while. I said, well, I got to come through with this. I can't act like I can't check him, and then I can't just overdo it. And I looked at Vince, looked him in the eye, and said, no one can. When I said that, a big grin came on his face, and I noticed that he pushed this long paper in front of me. It was the uh, National Football League NFL contract, so I signed it. From the press box to press row is one of the hottest sports talk shows in the country. Join Donald each week as he takes you on a journey through the world of HBCU sports and pro sports and interviews with top sports and entertainment figures. That's from the press box to press row each week on your favorite station. You're listening to From the Press Box to Press Row. You plus me, it equal better math. Your boy a good look, but she my better half. I'm already bossing, already flossing. But why I had a cake if it ain't got the sweet frosting? Yeah, 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 yeah. You're keeping me on my A game without having the same name. Let's continue here on From the Press Box. The Press Row, of course, on last week's show, we taught up, caught up with Tony McGee, who was part of the Black 14 out of Wyoming. We're going to juxtapose that uh, against the Orangeburg massacre that happened in the same year in 1969. And my next guest was the head football coach 
at South Carolina State at the time. As a matter of fact, a total of 18 seasons as a head coach in college football, 15 of those with South Carolina State and West Virginia State. Also had stops as an assistant at Virginia, at Wisconsin as well, and at Grambling State as Ori Banks joins us here on From the Press Box to Press Row. Mr. Banks, welcome to the program. Thank you very much. Uh, And, you know, it's interesting because I had a chance to be watching uh, NFL Network maybe a couple of weeks ago, and I know they they had the the piece there, the documentary called Orangeburg. I had never seen that, was sort of familiar with the story, but not that intimately. Uh, Walked away really thinking, wow, uh, that's interesting. And like I said, juxtaposing that, against what happened in Wyoming you were for you said to your players hey if you want to protest uh the uh, the the racial things that are going on in Orangeburg specifically at the bowling alley you were for that as opposed to the coach uh, in Wyoming what are your memories what are your recollections of what happened in Orangeburg there in 1969 well what happened my players uh was committed to try to correct some situation they thought was definitely need to be corrected concerning a bowling alley. And they asked me and I informed them that uh, you have to make the move that you're going to live with for the rest of your life. And you have to be up front and I'm going to support you 100% in your movement. So I felt very strongly that what was going on in Orangeburg was definitely discrimination at its worst. So I supported the team 100% in trying to move forward with their beliefs and their concern. What, and it's interesting because, as mentioned, we're talking about the bowling alley that was segregated, but – you know, take us back. What what was Orangeburg, South Carolina like at that time? Well, it was definitely uh, a situation where blacks uh, felt they was mistreated in so many different situations. Uh, we had some players uh, from different parts of the country, and some of the players were very, very outspoken in terms of trying to move in the right direction, I felt, and trying to end segregation. It was no question about it that Orangeburg, like a lot of places in South Carolina, was very racial when it comes to giving African Americans the opportunity to excel and do well in life. And so I supported them 100%. Yeah, can you? What do you remember about the surroundings, about the whole situation? Uh, obviously, three students end up uh, losing their life. Uh, you know, behind uh, behind that, behind the police, really, um, you know, firing on the students without really provocation. Like, what, what do you? What do you? You know, what do you remember? What, what are your thoughts about that? Well, I thought it was very, very bad in terms of what I mean bad it was a situation where I felt they uh, just decided to feel that they had the manpower and 
they felt they had the right to uh, attack the students, even though they felt they was wrong. But uh, I, I just, as I stated, I, I, I just, going back and looking at the total picture, we had a lot of students that was very enlightened to move forward in their life, and they felt they had to take on the uh, police there and people in Orangeburg. Ari Banks uh, is the he's in a, a quite a few Hall of Fames, as a matter of fact, including South Carolina State, West Virginia State. He's the former head coach at both. Uh, he was the head football coach at South Carolina State uh, during the uh, Ma- Orangeburg Massacre back in 1969 as he joins us here on From the Press Box to Press Row. After that, after all of the events that took place, uh, Mr. Banks, what did, you, what, did you in, in, what did you say to your football team? Well, I wanted, I've always been a person that's been outspoken in terms of doing the things that was right. And I felt very strongly that the players on South Carolina State team at that time, they wanted to move forward with their life, but they also wanted to move forward with their life by being in an environment that we all be treated equal in our movement and trying to better each person's life. I've always been a person that believe in doing the thing that was right. And being from Mississippi, I was very conscious of some of the things that was going on back then, years ago, that need to be changed. And I felt, excuse me, I felt I was in a situation where I needed to step out front and be a leader and be the type of person that believe in guiding the players in the right direction. So I wasn't uh, trying to prove nothing in terms of trying to prove a point to anyone, but I was, for one thing, doing what was right. I was uh, also with the NAACP at that time, and a lot of people said, that's surprising, uh, football coaches involved with the NAACP. Uh, I said, well, I've always been involved with the NAACP. Ever since I was, uh, as many years ago. Right. So I was very upfront in trying to support the players' movement yeah. in terms of. Yeah, what are, you, what are your thoughts in terms of what we're seeing today uh, in terms of the protests uh, that are still ongoing? Well, I think it's one of the greatest moves that we can be involved with. Uh, we need to step up to the plate. That's always been my suggestion. Step up to the plate. Don't be standing back and things happen. That's what I've always told my players. I said, if you don't make something happen, nothing will happen. And since I've been here at West Virginia State, and I'm still working here at West Virginia State after so many years, <laughs> but I've said to the 
students here. I've said to the people here, uh, I'm a member of the NAACP here in West Virginia. Uh, I'm the uh, education chair, and I feel very strongly about education is what it's about. We have to educate people. And sometimes educating individuals uh, of trying to move on and do the right thing is not the easiest thing that we can uh, undertake. So I, excuse me, I give a cold. I just feel that we need to step up to the plate and be accountable. Uh, we can't look back. I published an article not long ago in the American Football Coaches Association Went all over the country, all these head coaches uh, in the D- Division One school. I think it is a shame and it's ridiculous that we have so few African-American head coaches at our Division One school. Uh, and look at all the players. And my the article that I published went nationally two years ago said we can perform but we have a tough time getting positioned to be the person that guides the team, such as being the head football coach. You, uh, I don't know if you're aware of the number, but it's a very, very, of the hundred, so over 100 Division One schools, we have very, very few head coaches throughout the country. Yeah, no question about it. So I feel very strongly that we need, as my statement I said earlier, we got to step up to the plate and be accountable. And that's what I'm pushing now. I'm still pushing in that direction and hoping that we can uh, uh, make some things happen and, uh, and try to better our situation for the future. Ari Banks. Uh, formerly the head football coach of South Carolina State and West Virginia State joins us here in the program. We're going to step aside, take a break, come back with more of Ari Banks as you're locked into From the Press Box to Press Row. You're listening to From the Press Box to Press Row. That is the voice of Kevin Durant. I'm excited I get to play for them. They support us in everything we do. You know, it's a joy to you know, go to work and, and know that you're going to be, uh, you know, they're going to cheer for you as loud as they can no matter who you're playing. I'm talking about none other than Serena Williams. That was definitely one of the better matches I've ever played. I've had it just like that. You know, it's really focused. It's really, you know, excited. He's Chadwick Bozeman, and he joins us here on From the Press Box to Press Row. You are, in fact, a graduate. What do you remember most about your days at Howard? Howard is like one of those experiences where <laughs> you know it's a it's a bubble. You know it's a it's a special moment. Like I had some great teachers. Felicia Rashad was one of my teachers. You know, I just remember being nurtured to respect black writers, black directors, black actors, as well as the classics. So you got the full scope of what you should experience, and I think that's unique to Howard. I just love the fact that they respected the full scope of it. Kiki Palmer joining us here on the program. I, I've come in a lot of different ways. I think I've definitely grown as far as my age progression, and that shows that I've literally grown, I guess, on screen, and people have seen me from, you know, a young kid to coming of age into an adult, and I feel like slowly but surely they're not taking that Akila memory out their head, but realizing Akila also has, you know, has grown up. I don't ever want to be typecasted as just 
the Heat hosting girl. That is the voice of Steph Curry. Your progress from Davidson to now with Golden State. Where I've come from in high school into a small D1 college at Davidson. Uh, it's a great story, and uh, I'm just having fun you know, living my dream and riding the ride. That's the voice, of course, of T.I., it's some hard times down in the ATL, though, T.I. Yeah, and if that is understood. It wouldn't be the first. <laughs> wouldn't be the first, nor the worst. But, you know, you got to stay down with the home team, though, you know? No, nah, no question. I'm, I'm still I'm still down with the skins, man. What can I say? They're, they're not doing too well right now. Well, like, <laughs> you know what I mean. We gotta, hey, hey, hey look, man, we gotta, we gotta hold it down so we can, so we can get it back right again. <laughs> that is the voice of Maria Taylor, ESPN college sports analyst. College Game Day is a show that I grew up watching, a, a show that I've always loved. I knew that when I was uh, able to join, I was more than excited. I found out the same week as I turned thirty, and it's just something that I never dreamed I would be a part of. But something that I'm so thankful to have under my belt, have done for an entire season. It's, there's nothing like it, honestly. Hello, I'm Josh Stone, and I'm here chatting to Donald on Thunder Press Box to Press Roll. Kimber Walker. There's a lot more poise now. You know, um, the game is slowed down, so you know, I kind of know what to expect. You know, I've been watching a lot of film on our offense and, you know, what plays I can make. You know, I'm just trying to make the best plays possible. When I draw a second defender to me, um, I know my job is done. I'm just trying my best to find the open guy. You know, the difference is guys are making shots. That's been the biggest difference. I'm talking about none other than Common. Well, I ended up in Sam just because I wanted to major in business. And Sam, you had the illustrious school of business. And, I mean, I played high school basketball, but... At one point, my career kind of rounded off because I got injured and I wasn't getting as much playing time, so I became impatient. I went to school first, starting off with general studies, then I found out that business was the key. That's what I wanted to do. I got into the school of business, and it was definitely a great learning experience for me. She's regarded as the best gymnast in the world. She's Simone Biles, the ESPN Swimsuit Edition. Actually, really fun. Like, to be honest, me and Ali had a lot of fun. We were like, oh, of course, like, we're the best shape of our lives. We're feeling confident about our body and we hope that other young girls and women like feel that being strong is so beautiful. So that's what we kind of try to do. Mine was just like beauty, but also showing muscles. Like I feel like when little girls look at that, they'll think it's okay to have muscles and be beautiful and like sexy at the same time in a good manner. And I think that's what we got across, hopefully. It was great. Greatest football player to ever play, Jim Brown. Muhammad Ali was a principal person in the country at the time, and he stood up and said that he was not going to the service because it was against his religion. Mm-hmm. Called all the top black athletes together, along with Carl Stoke, the first black mayor of a major city. So I'm glad you brought that particular incident up. Snoop Dogg is on the mic. Pay attention. Oh, man, thank you for having me play in a real way. I mean, I'm so honored. Snoop, you football league has done so many wonders. We got over 200 kids that have graduated from high school. We have over 50 kids that have grown to Division One. WWE champion Alexa Bliss. How does one go from being a cheerleader as you were at the Division One level at Akron to being the WWE champion? <laughs> well, uh, after I cheered in Akron, my uh, trainer had told me that WWE was having a tryout. So, and they knew I was a fan. So I went online and I submitted a video to WWE.com. Um, I didn't think anything would follow it, but then I was called and given a tryout. And then after I tried out, I was signed to NXT and it just kind of became a roller coaster from there. We're joined by the one and only Jerry Rice. What do you remember most about those days at Mississippi Valley State? What is going on at Mississippi Valley? 
State University. <laughs> Why are these guys putting up unbelievable numbers? And that brought awareness to the school. And after that, I got drafted to the San Francisco 49ers. Hey, everybody, what's going on? This is Anthony Anderson, international movie star and funny mother. <laughs> and you're listening to from the press box to press row. From the press box to press row is the sports talk show that is the voice and the talk of HBCU sports with a flair for pro sports talk and entertainment. Check the show out online at www.boxtorow.com. That's from the press box to press row. Real, relevant radio. We're back here on. From the press box to press row, we are talking with Ari Banks, former head football coach at South Carolina State and West Virginia State. He was the head football coach at South Carolina State during the Orangeburg Massacre in 1969. That's what uh, we've been talking about. Before we went to break, Mr. Banks, you were talking about and you wrote a piece uh, and felt very, feel very strongly about the lack of black coaches at the FBS level. You know, I would contend that part of the – uh, the the problem with the National Football League is because of the lack of black coaches uh, in the FBS. It's a trickle up effect in, in this situation. Would you agree with that? Yes, I would. I definitely would. Yes, I would. Uh, we have to move up the ladder, and uh, so far we have a situation uh, that is being uh, selected for these positions in college. We have a tough time of getting any pros the NFL. But I think uh, some of the things that we are doing now will help change that and uh, pray and hope that we can continue to work hard to change the looks of our sideline in the college rank as well as the NFL rank for his uh, head coach's position. Uh, first, we've got to get uh, some coordinators. Uh, as you look around the country, for his football particularly, you just don't have that many black coordinators uh, in on defense or offense. But uh, I think if we work hard, we can we can make some changes in that line. But people going to have to speak up. That's the bottom. That's the that's what we're all about. And if we're not going to speak up. We're going to have a tough time changing the looks of this whole program. I mean, whole uh, the looks of what we should be in in, in things that are not happening on the behalf of African-American in terms of positions. Yep. Uh, again, oh, so you, as you mentioned, you're, you're from Mississippi. What was it like being from Mississippi? I know before you went to to Indiana and then ultimately played ball at, at Kansas State. You had a stint there uh, in the Army. But what was it like uh, coming from Mississippi and then playing ball uh, at Indiana and then Kansas State? Well, it was quite uh, interesting in the fact that uh, uh, <laughs> I had never uh, had the opportunity to, to be on the integrated team where we had black and whites playing and Moving from there to the Army, where I played football, and uh, we I played on the Army football team uh, uh, while I was in service, and um, and but it was quite an experience for me. Where in Mississippi at the time I was in high school, we couldn't even be in the stands. 
uh, to see some of the teams play. So uh, we had segregation in terms of uh, seating, and uh, but uh, it was quite an experience for me to move from Mississippi into a uh, environment where I was able not only able to go to the game, I was able to play at Indiana University and uh, Kansas State University. But uh, things was quite a problem for me to uh, move up the ladder in high school. In terms, what I mean, move up the ladder. I mean, in terms of uh, getting exposure and, and doing some of the things that I felt I was capable of doing. Again, Ori Banks, former head football coach at South Carolina State and West Virginia State, joins us here on the program. He's the head coach at South Carolina State during the Orangeburg Massacre in 1969. So after after your playing days, so you were at Cahoma Community College as the head coach? I started I, when I graduated from Kansas State University. Mm-hmm. I accepted the head football coaching job at Cahoma Community College in Clarksdale, Mississippi. Right. And from there, I moved to Grambling as an assistant coach. Right. I was uh, doing my tenure and stay at Cahoma Community College in Mississippi. I was I was very successful in that's uh, reading uh, the great legend Coach Eddie Robertson decided he wanted me to be on his staff, Grambling University. So I accepted the position in years at Grambling, and then I moved on to South Carolina State. Right, at Grambling. So, again, at Cahoma, and, and you, you, as you mentioned, get the position uh, at Grambling. What was it like, you know, uh, working with the legendary uh, Eddie Robinson there at Grambling? It was a great experience. Uh, uh, being exposed and being uh, involved with the program at Grambling under his leadership, was a great, great experience. I was there only two years, and uh, before I got the, before I was selected as the head football coach at South Carolina State, so I, I didn't spend that much time at Grambling. For uh, the people at South Carolina, brought me in, and that's where I moved on from there to where I am today. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What was what was it like during that? To see, I mean, now like you, like we know. You know the the better black players are not going to HBCUs like they were when you were coaching. So I mean, you had a lot of success, uh, success at South Carolina State, eight and one uh, in that first season, and and by the way, came in second place with an eight and one record. So that just shows you how tough the football was. And again, South Carolina State was in the SIAC at that time. Speak oh, to yes. the, yeah the the level of competition and how good football was there at SC State. Oh yeah, it was very very successful. I mean, very. I was very successful at South Carolina State because I was able to get some of the good athletes, and uh, I was uh, looked at as a person who can motivate some of the players to maybe go into the NFL because of my connection with Grambling. So it was uh, I used you know I used everything I could to let the players know. Number one, I wanted them to get education. Now I'm a great believer that that's another thing that I, I find some cases uh, that some individuals uh, forget that the most important thing that our athletes need is to get an education. 
uh, and I feel very strongly that that was recruiting, helped me in my career, uh, helped me all over to emphasize to the parents that when I bring you, when I recruit your son, I'm not only recruiting them for playing football. Number one, I'm recruiting them to get an education. And that's been one of my very strong points throughout my coaching career is you first start to get to get an education and second is to participate in athletics. And I said second because number one is to get an education. Yeah. No question. You know, interestingly enough, uh, you were – I believe the what the first uh, black assistant coach at, at South Carolina uh, shortly yes, then, I was the first, yeah I was the first African American football coach at the University of South Carolina and I was also the first black coach at the University of Virginia yeah yeah uh, experience first what was that like as an assistant it was quite an experience uh, as uh, <laughs> I may put it is uh I was a member of the coaching staff, but uh, I felt that uh, in a lot of cases, uh, with my experience, was not fully utilized, uh, fully used because uh, things I felt I could contribute to the teams was not there for me to present because I guess the fact that I was the first black, and um, <laughs> and they they had a tough time, uh, I guess, in dealing with me being on the staff, being the first black coach. But uh, uh, I enjoyed my stay there. I just was hoping that I had more of an opportunity to demonstrate and and show that uh, my knowledge as a football coach but those things uh you look back and say it was great just to make sure that I was had set some type of uh, yardstick in terms of being the first and hoping that we they would get more black coaches in after I leave there yeah how did you end up there South Carolina well uh I wanted to get on the major college level, and that was my ambition. And uh, so I felt that going to a Division One school uh, like University of South Carolina would give me that opportunity. So, because uh, I had good record at South South Carolina State. Uh, yeah, I had a bad year, I think, the year I left there. But overall, my record was good. Uh, and after my first, uh, I think, uh, the first few years, uh, no, after the first five years, I believe, I was listed as the, in the top winningest coaches in division, in that division, see, was a member of. So, uh I had a, a, a great stay at South Carolina State because, as I say, I was listed as one of the top coaches in the country for as being a, a 
consistent at South Carolina State. Yeah. Yeah, and then a couple of years there at South Carolina, we are joined again by uh, Ori Banks, former head football coach at South Carolina State, former head football coach at West Virginia State, uh, first black assistant coach at South Carolina, and then you moved on to Virginia. Bill Hayes, of course, the first uh, black assistant coach in the ACC, but certainly you had to be one of the first uh, in the ACC. What about your time uh, at the University of Virginia? Oh, it was a great experience. I only stayed there a year and a half. Uh, and uh, Coach Round, who was the head football coach, was let go. And any time the head coach is let go, then, you know, that entire staff is is um, uh, out looking for a job because each person would bring in their own assistance. So actually, I only stayed at University of Virginia one year. And then that's, after then I moved on to Wisconsin. But University of Wisconsin, I mean University of Virginia was a great place, great school, and I enjoyed my stay there. That is good stuff. Hold the line for me one second as we're talking with Ori Banks. He's the former head football coach at South Carolina State, former head football coach at West Virginia State, first Black coach at the university, assistant coach at the University of South Carolina, had stops at UVA and Wisconsin, was also the head coach at South Carolina State during the Orangeburg Massacre in 1969. We're going to have more of Ari Banks on the other side. Don't forget on Monday, Fabulous versus Jadakiss in the versus battle. Who you got? You're the only one I love. Shorty is courageous, going through the stages of where her body is more mature than her ages. Far from the death. On last week's From the Press Box to Press Row with Donald Ware. By my father, Donald Ware. Coach Lombardi indicated that he wanted me to play cornerback. Do you think you can check Charlie Tell? So I thought about it a while. I said, well. I got to come through with this. I can't act like I can't check him, and then I can't just overdo it. And I looked at Vince, looked him in the eye, and said, no one can. When I said that, a big grin came on his face, and I noticed that he pushed this long paper in front of me. It was the uh, National Football League NFL contract. So I signed it. From the press box to press row is one of the hottest sports talk shows in the country. Joey Donald each week as he takes you on a journey through the world of HBCU sports and pro sports and interviews with top sports and entertainment figures. That's from the press box to press row each week on your favorite station. It's Donald Ware from the Press Box to Press Row. We're back here on From the Press Box to Press Row. Continuing the conversation with former head football coach at South Carolina State and West Virginia State, Ori Banks. He was the head football coach at South Carolina State during the Orangeburg Massacre in 1969. And he's talking on the other side of the break about his coaching experience as an assistant and then what about the experience at Wisconsin? That had to be a little different. You're, you're not in the South 
per se anymore, Big Ten. What, what was that like? Well, I couldn't get a accustomed to the cold weather. <laughs> I'm from Mississippi now, and I I just felt that uh, I needed to uh, move to a more <laughs> suitable place in terms of weather, and so I only stayed there one year. But the reason I left was I, I was able to get a head job at South Carolina State. But I, I, I really was trying to get that Division I uh, head job. Uh, and uh, But uh, I just uh, felt that uh, maybe I need to go back and be a head coach at a school like South, uh, West Virginia State. Right. So uh, I only stayed there a very short time, and as I said before, one of my biggest problems with Wisconsin was the weather. Right. Now, you know, I'm, I told you I'm from Mississippi, <laughs> and uh, it's very, a little difficult in dealing with that cold weather. Yeah. You know, was it, was it disappointing, uh, because it seems like your ambition was to be a head coach um, at the Division One level, uh, and you never really got not not you never really you didn't never got that opportunity. How 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 disappointing was that? A and then B. How much did race play into that? What do you mean in terms of my stay at Wisconsin? No, in, in terms of not being a Division One head coach at a at a non HBCU. Well, I, I I played a major part and. Uh, I I didn't realize I uh, I didn't realize uh, that uh, it was so difficult to get that Division One job. Uh, I felt that uh, with my record as a winning coach at South Carolina State, and uh, would be that ticket. To me, getting the head job at a Division One school, but uh, time wasn't right, and I guess, and I, I, I didn't. I, I moved back to Division Two at South Carolina State, West Virginia State. Accepted the job here. Uh, it was really interesting at South Carolina. State. I mean, not South Carolina State, at Wisconsin. I mean, West Virginia State. Yes, sir. Uh, I realized I was the only black that was head coach at a school that was predominantly white. Yet Yet the school is a historical black college, HBCU school. I was still the only black listed at uh, coaching head coach at a school where there was majority of the students was white. Uh, we have had here, uh, which I'm still at West Virginia State, I'm, uh, we have an enrollment which is predominantly white. It's been that way for many years and uh, but it was a big article in the paper that I was the 
only black and because uh, the person uh, I replaced even though it was the HBCU school here the person I replaced was white who had, and uh, now prior to previous years they had a black head coach here and but they had moved to the point of having a white coach and uh I replaced the person that was white here and as I said it was a big article in the paper that I was the only black at a uh where the enrollment was predominantly white. Right, at an HBCU. That is that is uh that is extremely interesting. Ori Banks uh, former head football coach at South Carolina State and at West Virginia State in numerous halls of fame. A lot of success as a head football coach at both schools, a history maker, first uh, black assistant coach at uh, South Carolina, one of the first black coaches in the ACC uh, at Virginia. Joins us here on From the Press Box to Press Row. Mr. Banks, I really appreciate the insight, really appreciate you sharing your story, uh, even more specifically about the uh, Orangeburg Massacre in 1969. And continued success. You're still there at West Virginia State. That is absolutely amazing. Continued success in all you do. Well, I appreciate your comments, and I appreciate and thank you for inviting me to speak on your program. And uh, and I enjoyed talking and sharing some of my experience and uh, letting people know that, hey, we still have a long ways to go. As I stated to you earlier, one of the major problems now, and I have talked to a large number of individuals about the fact that this thing disturbs me to have this all these Division One schools and so very, very few African-American head coaches. Uh, as I think of the guy at Penn State yeah, James Franklin. Yeah. yeah, Franklin and a few others. Uh, yeah, uh, but uh, strong. I think yeah. it's still not in Florida. I believe South it's Florida. Uh huh. Yeah, and but uh, I just hope that we can turn this thing around. And and most important, as I tell a lot of young coaches now, don't give up. Just keep moving forward. Meet, a min- meet as many persons in key positions as you can, and uh, don't give up. That was that's my whole thing in terms of the young coaches. Sounds good. All right, thank you, Mr. Banks. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. Ari Banks, joining us here on the program, right around 83, 84 years old, still extremely sharp, great memory, and some great stories shared, some great information about his time uh, more specifically at South Carolina State, and just his coaching experiences. And, I mean, there's no doubt and we, we, there's a lot going on when you talk about protests. And I've talked about this before. I think a lot of the conversation needs to be had around reparations, but also stories like this where you have a coach that has an opportunity that's had success, that should have had an opportunity to be a head coach 
at the Division One level. And, and you can argue whether Ori Banks could have been that coach, but I don't think you can argue some of the great coaches uh, in history that should have had that opportunity, uh, particularly at the HBCU level. You know, Eddie Robinson, John Merritt, you know, Jake Gaither, all of those coaches, the, you know, more recent coaches, you know, the Joe Taylors, the 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 Bill Hayes, et cetera, that didn't get those opportunities. Great. Uh, I really appreciate Ori Banks sharing uh, that with us. And big shots out. I got to give a big shout out to Bill Hamilton, the former sports information director at South Carolina State. And may have, matter of fact, may have been there when Ori Banks was there. He retired or supposedly retired back, what, was that 2015? Yet he's still around. He's still at South Carolina State. Uh, So big shots out to Bill Hamilton for setting up that uh, interview, which I hope you got a lot out of. If you want to react to anything that Ori Banks had to say, hit me up or hit us up via Twitter at box to row B-O-X-T-O-R-O-W, or on Facebook, B-O-X, the number two, R-O-W. Listen, we've been playing the music. Uh, there's going to be a versus battle IG or Instagram on Monday between Jada Kiss and Fabulous. And, you know, I, I think, listen, Jada Kiss to me is one of the greatest rappers to ever do it. Uh, more so than I would say fabulous. I'm not sure if I would say fabulous is one of the greatest to ever do it. Jadakiss is one of the greatest to ever do it. And I'm partial to Jadakiss. He's come on this show. He's a friend of this program. As a matter of fact, he's come on this show a couple of times. But I'll tell you what, fabulous has some hits. Now he had some rate. He had some, some really big hits, some crossover hits. And, but you look at what Jadakiss, you know, Jadakiss put out albums that were just just banging. And you, you look at even songs really that he was a guest on, like Lil John and the East Side Boys knocking heads and those type of songs. I tell you what, that's I'm, I'm there for that. Like, I, I didn't get into the whole versus thing, but I'm there for that. And of course, they made an album together back in 2017. Uh, so I'm there for Jadakiss and Fabulous in the verses. I got to get ready to run here on From the Press Box to Press Row. Thank you to Ori Banks for joining us on the program. Don't forget the HBCU Football Daily Podcast is in full effect. You can log on to our website at boxtorow.com, listen or download the podcasts. Also, you can check the podcasts out at iHeartMedia as well as Apple Podcasts. Now hear this, Bethune-Cookman leaving the MEAC to join the SWAC for the 2000, to begin the 2021-2022 season a couple of weeks ago. It was Florida A&M the 1st of February. It was North Carolina A&T. And in 2018, it was Hampton. The MEAC is in trouble right now. You heard me say it a couple of weeks ago. If they can maintain the schools they have, they've got a shot. Now they lose another school in Bethune-Cookman. I'm going to address this on BoxToRow.com. Log on to BoxToRow.com, and I'm going to talk about the impact of these moves and what's the deal. Why is everybody, why the mass exodus from the MEAC? I want to welcome our newest affiliates and those listening to us on 1010XL 92.5 FM Sports Radio in Jacksonville, Florida. 
as well as those listening to us on Smooth Radio 100.3 FM in Rocky Mount, North Carolina. Thank you for making From the Press Box to Press Row a part of your day. And always remember to support those that support you. From the Press Box to Press Row is presented by DW Communications. The left looks too right. You know what? You.